We're in this series, Real Love in an Angry World, and it's based out of the book that uh, our lead pastor, Rick Bizet, wrote. And if you haven't seen that, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of it. It is a very relevant, pertinent message and word for our day and age. I believe that we're living in a, in a pretty angry world. We've been talking about that. How many of y'all know, it just seems like everybody's yelling and screaming these days. There's a lot of yelling and screaming out there. Like nonsensical too. A lot of times they don't even know why they're yelling and screaming. They're just yelling and screaming. The other day I walked into a new place for me and I walked into a room. And as soon as I walked in there, every person in there just started yelling and screaming at me just at the top of their lungs. And so it went on for for a few seconds. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, everybody, look, if we could just chill for just a moment, I think we will all agree that I don't belong in the women's bathroom. I get it, okay? I'll leave. And got out of there. That didn't really happen, but I thought it was pretty funny anyway. Our world really is full of a lot of hate right now, and people are arguing over issues. And and, this is what I've noticed. If if you are issue driven, you're going to spend a lot of your time, a lot of your life just wandering around arguing and focused on people's issues. And in the process of focusing on people's issues, you're going to wind up alienating and hurting people because you're focused on the issue instead of focusing on the person that is behind the issue. We all have issues. How many of you have issues in this place? Anybody have an issue? If you didn't raise your hand, you don't think you have issues, that's your issue, is that you think you don't have issues. But Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and confront people's issues. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Why? Because behind every issue is a person. And and that person is somebody that Jesus came and died for, reached out for, loved, did everything he could to make sure they understood that the focus was not their issue, The focus was their soul. The focus was eternity. And I think sometimes we can just get off track and get misdirected on what really matters. Look at this verse in John 13, 34. It says, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And Jesus is saying that the best way that you can prove to the world around you that you're a legit follower of Christ is by how you love each other. If you want to win, love each other. You want to do something successful? You want to show off in life? Love somebody. Love each other. He didn't say your opinion will prove to the world. He doesn't say your rant on social media will prove to the world. It says the way that you love each other is going to be what shows the world that you are a part of the body of Christ. In John 17, 20, it says this, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as I are one as you are in me, Father, I and Father and I am in you, and may they be in us that the world will believe that you sent me, that we are together in Him, and that is what the world will look at to say, okay, we believe this. 
I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one, as we are one. Talking about the God the Father in him. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That it's in perfect unity that the world can look at it and see, wow, that's the kind of love that I want. Can you imagine how much God the Father loves his son Jesus? The perfect love. And it's saying that that is the kind of love that the body of Christ should have for one another. That that is the thing that will show the world, man, this is, there's something to this. When God's people live out real love in their relationship, the world outside takes notice. It shows the world, man, there's something going on. There's something about unity that attracts people. God blesses a spirit of unity. And it's our love for one another that is actually our greatest testimony. You wonder what your testimony is. Like, I don't know what my testimony is. I don't know how to share my testimony. You don't need to worry about it until you've really focused on Loving the people that are around you. Because the thing that speaks much louder than any word you could ever show or say is, is your actions. Your actions and how you love each other. What if we were a church, a place where relationships were so unified and magnetic that people couldn't resist being around it? What if our services and our life groups and our serve groups and our outreach efforts we're so irresistible that people that would never ever consider being a part of church had to be a part of it because of the kinds of relationships that existed in it. What if churches got along even when they disagree on stuff and the unity in the body of Christ was so strong that the world took notice and said, man, they're doing something great. What if we set the example on healthy friendships The church, what if we set the example on healthy friendships and faithful marriages? What if the world looked to us and say, man, this is how you do relationships well. This is how you have a strong relationship. So here's what I want to do for the next 80 minutes or so. I'm joking, I'm not going to take that long. But for the rest of our time, I just want to talk about a couple of things that will help hopefully bring better unity and love into the relationships that you have. Last week, I made mention of this word covenant, the subject of covenant. And we're going to look a little deeper into what that means and how it relates to us. And I will say that some of what I'm going to talk about today, if you're not a Christ follower, I'm not specifically speaking to you. Because this is kind of a message that is holding the body of Christ accountable to what God has asked us to do. However, I think that because of who God made you to be, and even if you're not a Christ follower, there's going to be something in this that's going to tug on this inherent thing that I believe God has created in you to be a part of if you'll just open yourself to that. And I believe that through that, you can encounter the presence of God and have a relationship with him. So I want to talk about the subject of covenant. I mentioned a couple of them last week. But first of all, the covenant with Noah, where he gave him a rainbow and promised that he would never flood the earth again. God's covenant with Abram, 
that he would multiply and bless his lineage. And after that, gave him, renamed him Abraham, which meant the friend of God. And from that point on, whenever God would announce himself, he'd say the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. I like that, you know, basically like anytime he'd announce himself, like, hey, like I am recognizing, like I'm, I'm saying I'm a part of these guys. These guys are my, my people, so don't mess with them. I love that kind of strong relationship. The covenant with Moses, where he gave him the Ten Commandments, the first four having to do with our relationship with God, and then the last six, how they relate to the relationships around us. And that's on purpose, because if you can't figure this thing out, you're not going to get your horizontal relationships right. And then after that, he, he made mention and he made promise that there would be a new covenant. The covenant with Moses, it was about law. And then there was a lot of rules that came with that. And, and it was clearly impossible for anybody to ever obey all those laws and all those rules. And so God's plan was to bring completion to that through the new covenant that is Jesus. A symbol of that was the Last Supper when Jesus brought his disciples together and started by washing their feet as a symbol that he came to to serve and not be served. And then he sat down and they started to have this meal. And it is in that setting that this word of covenant was first mentioned by Jesus, the new covenant. In Luke 22, 20, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. The disciples understood what covenant was about because they'd been raised around the prophecies. They'd been raised in the temple. And so they knew the previous covenants that God had made. But this covenant was based on grace. A relationship dependent upon faith. Not on their ability to obey the law and make sacrifice and their own ability for sin. It was a promise of unconditional love, grace, sacrifice, and relationship. The new covenant means that you can be or have a completely new relationship with God. No matter what you came from, no matter what happened in your past, you have full access to God and everything that he has. And even beyond Jesus' death and resurrection, that makes us right with God. The rest of that story is that God did that to make it possible to live right in love and relationship with others. Jesus said, just as I've loved you, I want you to love each other. So God didn't just restore you and sanctify you and give you this grace and this relationship based in faith just so that you can have that access but it's meant to be lived out and displayed in how you love and have relationship with the people around you, especially the body of Christ. A lot of people, including Christians, and maybe more specifically Christians, struggle with having healthy relationships. Which is crazy. But the stats would show that, you know, divorce rate is just as high among Christians as it is around people that don't know the Lord. So we are clearly missing something. We are missing an element of what this covenant, the relationship that God established with us and how it demonstrates itself in relationship with other people. We're we're missing some of that. And so I want to talk about a couple of elements around this word covenant, the dynamics of covenant, 
that hopefully will help us. First of all, covenant relationships commit to one another. They commit to one another. The marriage covenant is a great example of covenant. Because in there, you know, at one point or another, even if you don't do traditional vows, you want to include in there, like, you're going to love each other in sickness and in health, like even when things aren't easy and, and richer or poorer. Till death do you part. This is a major promise that you're making. I go to a lot of weddings. You know, maybe some of you do too, but, but I promise you, I probably go to more weddings than you do because I do a lot of weddings. And this is what I, I've noticed is the wedding day is always just happy and sweet and nice thing, you know? The bride is living her dream. And the groom, you know, while he's giving his vows, he, he sheds a tear because he feels like he has to. Like he's got to figure out a way to invoke some amount of emotion. Otherwise, he's just not really allowing himself to be a part of this fairy tale vision of the wedding ceremony. Because one of the things you discover is men get married and wives have weddings. Because it seems like that's like this, the picture of every girl's dream. Like, ah, what this is all going to look like. And, and I've noticed too, like, it used to be that when the bride was walking down the aisle, all eyes were on her. And now everybody will look at the bride, but then their heads will whip around to see if the groom is crying. Because that's like their measuring stick is, I don't know if this is going to work or not. And I'll tell you this, anytime I'm doing a wedding and I see a groom start to cry, I tell him to cut it out and man up. Like, <laughs> stop that right now. But you... You make these vows and sometimes you, you have communion, you know, as a symbol of this covenant. It's power. It's beautiful, man. I mean, I, I, and I've seen all, you know, unity candles, unity sand. Uh, I did a unity smoothie one time where they both added their own ingredients and then blended it up. It was a little weird, but they're from Washington, so it makes sense. And then you... Most married couples after that, you know, they, they take off and go on a honeymoon. Basically prolonging the inevitable reality of what marriage really is. When Cody and I got married off for our honeymoon, we went on a cruise. It was awesome. People served us all day long. We could eat 24 hours a day, ice cream. You could order a Caesar chicken salad at 3 a.m., take one bite and send it away. You didn't even care. Everything was awesome. And so in that moment, we're like, man, marriage is so great. <laughs> marriage is the best thing ever. The honeymoon ends at some point. And when you get back and you get back into life, 
and you realize, man, marriage is work. And it's hard. And the other person can be a real pain sometimes. And even though you can feel like you're doing everything God's asking you to do, they're not. (laughs) They're not doing what God's telling them to do. It's not really fair that I have to. And you realize, I had no idea. They had no idea how to put a toilet paper roll on the ring the right way. They had no idea. They don't know how to get toothpaste out of the, the toothpaste tube correctly you start seeing all these things and realizing all these things and then you have to actually commit and all those things that happened during the wedding now they are really tested now you get to figure out man is this do we really mean this Cody and I have been married for 15 years And we're crazy about each other. But we haven't been crazy about us each other every day. We've had to commit and work. And what you find out in marriage is marriage is living for your spouse. It's living for your spouse. It's completely sacrificial and it's not based on feelings. Because you're not always going to feel like being committed in relationship to someone. And that's when you have to choose to trust God and be committed, no matter what. Most relationships, where it's marriage or friendship or or even business partners, whatever it may be, too often it becomes based on feelings. Like as long as this is benefiting me, as long as I feel good about this, as long as I'm I'm seeing some sort of profit from this, and I'm going to be into it. But the moment that it changes and it switches up and and it's difficult and and they're not really giving to it anymore, that's when I'm going to drop it. I'm going to leave it. And every relationship that you will ever have in life is going to be tough. And some of them will be tough for a really long time. But it doesn't mean that it makes it a bad relationship. It just means you're really going to have to hold tight to covenant and commitment and trusting God. I have to admit that there's been moments where People in my life have offended me, hurt me, judged me. And I think all of us, if we're honest, we've had a tendency just to write those people off, right? Well, I don't need them anyway. Unfriend. (laughs) Block. Eh, Take that. All of us have been in that place where we've had that tendency. And it's not right. Relationships are worth fighting for. In John 15, it says this. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than this, than one to lay down his life for his friends. Now, some of you may read this in the literal sense to say, yeah, man, they're my homie. I'll die for them. And you know what? By some strange circumstance, sometime in life, you may have 
the rare opportunity to put your physical life on the line for somebody. But what this is saying, it's just saying you set aside your agenda. You set aside your agenda and what you want to live for someone else. You set aside living for your dream and you help somebody else's dream come true. That's what this is saying. A covenant represents a commitment, not convenience. It's not something you do when it's easy and then you you get out on when it's hard. It requires sacrifice. There's always sacrifice for covenant. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice for covenant was they had to kill animals, lots of them, to keep the covenant strong. And then Jesus came. He died to become the ultimate sacrifice. But in every covenant, there is significant sacrifice. If everything Jesus did was a model for us, we can't think that we get all the nice, warm, fuzzy, fluffy parts of who he is and don't really ever have to understand the sacrificial parts of relationship. Like if he models and says, love them as I have loved you, he died. And so we have to be understanding and saying, hey, God first, other second. I'm somewhere down on the list, but I'm not the most important. Number two, covenant relationships connect to one another. They connect, connect. Covenant is not a me principle, it's a we principle. It's not they, it's us. We've got our connect classes going on right now. We're going to be wrapping them up this afternoon. One of the things I enjoy in that is when we start them off, we get to meet the people that are in the class and just hear a little bit about their story, like where they're from and how they came to New Life Church, why they choose to come back to New Life Church. And and whether it's through that class or connect cards or just meeting people out in the foyer, I love hearing how people have gotten connected to our church. A lot of times it's just a friend inviting a friend. In some cases, you know, they Google churches in Cabot, Arkansas. Uh, One couple, they weren't church people at all, like never went to church. But they were driving by and saw all the cars outside and were like, they must be giving something away for free in there. We got to go check this out, you know, like why would so many? And they came in and they've never left. Another couple I met in the foyer, they were looking for a different church. And so I gave them directions to the other church, like, people have confused us before. This has happened. I gave them directions to where the other church was, and they said, well, you know what, since we're here, we're just going to stay here since we're already here. And so they did, and they never left. I love hearing stories about how people get connected to the body of Christ. And the connection to the body of Christ, the church, it's incredibly influential and it's powerful. And here's the thing. Our church is growing larger. Every single weekend, we grow larger. But we believe that we can grow smaller at the same time. But the only way that happens is by people being connected 
connected in life groups, connected in serve groups, connected in outreach, connected in community with one another. And here's how you know if you're connected or not. You ever gotten to the end of the day, you had a great day, you felt like you did, and so you went into your house and did your normal routine, but you went into the bathroom at one point or another and you looked in the mirror and there was something hanging out of your nose. You know, a little cliffhanger right there or something, you know. Here's the thing. We saw it too. But if you're not connected, people may not feel like they can tell you you got a big old booger hanging out of your nose. Another way that you can know whether you're connected or not. Do you have anybody that will help you move? Come on now. But here's the thing. Seriously, there are people that don't have anybody to help them. They never get text. When crisis hits, they don't know who to call. They'll call family sometimes, and if they're lucky, family or local, sometimes family or not. But outside of that, they don't, they're not connected. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You've got to be connected so that when it's time to cry, you've got people to cry with. And when it's time to celebrate, you've got people to celebrate with. How, how awesome is that when something great happens in your life and you have people that are there to celebrate that that, that happened, that you're blessed with that. Man, it's such a great thing to have. But man, it's a bummer. It's a bummer when something great happens in your life and you're like, I just got to go... Tell us, maybe my dog will care, you know? Like, you've got to be connected in relationship. Also, covenant relationships cover one another. They cover one another. What does this mean? The word cover, it means to honor, protect them. It just means to have their back. We live in a world where most people are trying to uncover and expose weakness. Like, they get up every day, and that's the thing that motivates them. Like, man, I can't wait to expose somebody's dirt today. I can't wait to point out where somebody's missing it, where someone is weak in their life, trying to find dirt on people. But covenant relationships, man, they cover one another. The story in the Old Testament in Genesis 9, after the flood, Noah got drunk, bad drunk. Like naked, bad drunk. And so he's laying in his tent, buck naked. And one of his sons, Ham, yeah, his name was really Ham, saw him and went and started telling his brothers, man, you guys not believe what dad is doing. But his other two brothers, they had a different approach. Like Ham was trying to expose this. His brothers, what they did, Shem and Japheth, they took this garment 
And they walked into the tent backwards. And they covered up their dad. They covered him. Now, Noah was over 160 years old, so there's probably a chance they just didn't want to have that image like (laughs) seared into their brain for the rest of their life. But I just think it was because they loved their dad. And and even when he did something that was embarrassing and foolish and they didn't have any interest in exposing it, they wanted to be a part of honoring and covering. And I don't want you to misunderstand this. I'm not saying that you should not confront sin. I'm not saying that at one point or another you should... Just let people get away with injustice or breaking the law, and that's covering. That's not it. But I do think that you should be more prone to covering and respecting and honoring than exposing, than letting people know somebody's weakness. We should always look to honor and respect people, to protect them. I just want you to know, as your pastor, I'm not looking for your dirt. I'm not looking for weakness in the people that attend here. From time to time, we'll have somebody show up or I'll be in conversation with people, maybe outside the church, and they'll start trying to tell me about something that was unhealthy or negative about their previous church. And as soon as I feel them going that direction, I will shut it down. I'll just say, look, I don't want to talk about that. We can talk about you. We can talk about you and your relationship with God. And we can talk about his desire for you to fulfill your purpose and your calling. But we are not going to sit around and talk bad about the left arm of the body when we're the right arm and we need the left arm. We're just not going to do that. One of the reasons why we pray for other churches and our services is because we believe that God honors prayer. God hears our prayers. God loves his bride. God loves the body of Christ. But the other side of it is we know that a lot of people come into our church with this idea that there's this competition between churches and your heart needs to get cleaned up and healed because that is not what the body of Christ is. And I don't care what the other churches do, we're responsible for our part in facilitating a spirit of unity and love that's pointed at the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of a church. But we protect, we cover, I don't, if I ever hear somebody talking about another pastor, if you want to see me get riled up, go there. Because those are my brothers in Christ. Are they perfect? No, neither am I. Do we make good decisions all the time in our leadership? No, we need Jesus. But I tell you what, we need covenant. We need people that are going to protect and honor and cover our weaknesses. Not go around trying to expose our weaknesses. 
says this in Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, then you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you. Go back again so that everything you say can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Too often, though, people want to share their frustrations with everyone else except the person they're frustrated with. And it's not biblical. It's wrong. And this is what I've learned. If you show loyalty, if you cover publicly, you will gain favor privately. You will gain an open ear privately. But the moment you go public, you've shut down an open ear to hear privately. You've missed it. Our relationship should be face to face, eye to eye. Don't try to resolve this stuff through text, please. There is no emoji that can convey tone of voice. 80% of communication is nonverbal. You need to sit down with that person and figure it out. Figure it out. God will give you the grace to do it. Some of you, you have blown it big time in this area. And this is what I would say. Broken relationships are a part of life. They happen. Restore as many relationships as you can. Restore them. Give grace. Say, I'm sorry. Own whatever you can own. Reach out. Text that person to set up a time when you can meet. Just let them know that you're going to fight for that relationship. Take the high road. Because life is way too short. Life is way too short. You can't be responsible for what the other person is going to do. You can only be responsible for what you do to fight for relationship, fight for covenant. God will honor it. You will feel a supernatural grace and peace come over you if you'll fight for the body of Christ, if you'll fight for relationships, if you'll commit, if you'll connect if you'll go after covenant with everything that you have. When we first started as a church, there was a phrase that we would repeat really often. This is where we're a place where we love God, love people and love life. And I remember early on, like the first two for people like made sense. Like, okay, love God and love people, but I don't know, can you love life? I don't know if that's biblical, if you can really enjoy life or not. But the point was this, if you love God and love people the way that he's loved you, life is going to be a blast for you. You're gonna love life. God is a God of covenant. God is a God of relationship. God does not have relationship outside of covenant. God is interested in making promises and keeping those promises no matter what. And he's interested in having that kind of covenant with you. It starts with you accepting a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. The sacrifice that paid for the covenant. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. God's covenant is that if we believe in Jesus, his death and resurrection, if we surrender to him as our Lord and Savior, We have a promise of his Holy Spirit 
We have the promise of eternity. We have a promise of purpose and calling. God desires to have covenant with you. If you're here today and you've never accepted that covenant, you've never come and and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, or maybe you did, but you've, you've backed away from that covenant, you feel that that relationship is weak, the great thing about God is he's always willing to give you another chance. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. I want to give you a chance to respond. If you're either one of those people today, I want to pray with you. If that's you, put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I want to pray with you today. I need a relationship with Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? I need a relationship with God today. Through his son, Jesus. Anybody else? Got it. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, thank you for those few folks that raised their hand. I think you're meeting with them right now. They've already confessed. They've already, they're doing the step in their heart. They've even taken a physical action to say, I need you, Jesus. So just talk to them right there in your chair. Just say, God, I, I do. I confess that I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you raised from the grave. You're preparing a place for me. Lord, I, I surrender my life to you. I want you to have control. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. Give me a new life in you. I make this covenant with you. I make this covenant with you today. I want to live for you. Give me strength by your spirit to to do that, to live by your word. God, I thank you for that. I pray, God, that in a culture that, man, just doesn't understand commitment, doesn't understand the value of truly being connected and not by how many friends we have on social media, but really knowing someone being invested in their lives. We want to be people that understand what it means. Help us be a church and a part of the body of Christ that demonstrates the kind of love to each other that you show to us so clearly. Help us be that church. Help us be those people. And let it be a loud testimony to the rest of the world that they would be drawn to and desire to be a part of. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have three people raise their hand to get right with Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning.